THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 548 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, Nerds. My name is Matt Baum. You feeling okay? Yeah, just being creepy. Oh. Yeah, it's Halloween. Spooky. Because it's October 16th? I've been watching a bunch of horror movies. Ooh. (laughs) It's creepy. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we put our review spotlight on Superman as he beats up the KKK and Jonathan Hickman's first proper X title. Don't you just hate it when comics get political. Oh, jeez. <laughs> After that, we'll review eight more of this Wednesday, October 16th's new comics while sipping on the cocktail of the week during the ludicrous speed round. Then it's down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're rapping about our must-read picks for next week. And finally... We're taking a hard look at the DC timeline that surfaced at NYCC and asking what counts and when the hell did it happen as part of our Ask a Nerd segment. It's all happening on this Impeachment Eve episode. But first, we better talk about this week's Nerd News. Nerd News. That's a really loud whisper. I mean, my face was right up on the microphone. Yeah, it really was. Writer-artist Rob Liefeld has publicly hold on, announced hold on, hold on, hold on. that he... From the Rob Liefeld desk. Okay, sorry, yes. That's how we do From, it. Uh, <laughs> writer-artist Rob Liefeld has publicly announced that he is no longer doing work with Marvel for the time being. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's a heavy threat. For the time being, yeah. I quit. <laughs> So this will be my last original cover for Marvel for the foreseeable future. After doing 100 covers the last few years, I'm taking a pause, Liefeld tweeted. I'm also not continuing any interiors as I've put those on hold as well. G.I. Joe Snake Eyes and creator-owned works are on the desk. Okay. Yeah. That would mean that Liefeld has suspended work on Deadpool, Batter Blood. And I know you're upset. You've got to be upset about that. I'm really upset. Uh, that was the sequel to Bad Blood, which uh, in February 2019, he called, quote, my definitive and last word on Deadpool. Also the prequel quote, to Baddest Blood, I think. Baddest Blood, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> two months later, Liefeld told Newsarama that he had plans for two additional volumes of Major X as well. Oh, please. God, no. <laughs> wowie, zowie. So back on October 8th, Liefeld tweeted and later deleted that, quote, some shady practices over at Marvel had led him to have a good long talk with my attorney. Then he said, good times to come for Bob Iger, referring to the Walt Disney chairman and CEO. Is this the same attorney that uh, let him lose Youngblood? Because if so, you might want to talk to a different lawyer, Robert. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) You know, maybe... You let your fingers do the walking. Yeah, you know? you know, I mean, there's plenty of good lawyers out there. <laughs> Attorney starts with A. Is that the front of the yellow pages? Uh, yeah, boy, I don't, I don't know what he's referring to. I'm not really sure that I 
I hair? I Doesn't like, Rob Liefeld just storm away from things all the time? I feel like the Rob Liefeld pendulum swings violently because one minute he's like, yay, Marvel. Marvel's doing all this great stuff. We love it. Hooray, Marvel. Then he's like, those guys are up to something shifty. I'm out of here. Then he's like, yeah. did I say shifty? I don't remember saying shifty. I deleted that tweet. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know why... Th- I, I don't care. I'm sorry. I, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Like, again, we are not here to bag on Rob Leefield. Rob Leefield is a special guy. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer, no question. And a lot of us grew up reading his stuff and love him yes. for what he did. And I thank him very much for everything that he added to the comic book universe. With that said, time to stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It just, it's you like, know. <laughs> Take a nice long break, Rob. We'll all still be here when you come back. Yeah, exactly. You know, get like do like the old wrestlers and get a job announcing or something. You, you know, know, just go <laughs> go to Italy, eat, pray, love, whatever you got to do. You yeah, know, totally. <laughs> From the Hickman X desk, a solo Moira McTaggart Moira X title will be launched as part of Jonathan Hickman's expansive X Men plans. Uh, speaking of the Rob Leefield story. Just today, he had a tweet, and he's like, I can't believe how many X titles they're putting out. Retailers, beware. And someone promptly was like, weren't you the guy that worked on, like, four X titles when they were putting out, like, nine X titles? (laughs) 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 The X-Men showrunner revealed during a fan Q&A session on Adventures in Poor Taste... What is that? Is that a podcast? It's a podcast or a website. Oh, I thought we were the only comic book podcast. Uh, Then it's a website. Okay. Yeah, good. That's right. In response to questions about unresolved aspects of Moira X's timeline, as first introduced in Hawks number two, he said, so yeah, there was going to be a thousand year timeline in the back of Powers X number six, explaining all the cool things that happened in that life. Hickman went on to say, the reason why this change in production is because there was a writer we had hoped to get to do our eventual Moira book that works as kind of dancing between the raindrops of X continuity. And they agreed to do it long before we were expecting them to commit. <laughs> Which, Whoops. It's great news, but they weren't ready for it. So who is it? He, he doesn't want to say who it is. One of the cut bits from Hickman's original plans for the thousand year timeline involved Silo Bell, Nimrod, and the Black Brain Telepaths, which is good because that was really cool storytelling that he literally was just like, hey, this is kind of neat, right? Well, don't worry about it. It's gone. Right. Hey! If they, like, they can't seriously have been expecting us. To think that we would never see Rasputin right again, of course, you know, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. We'll see who they're getting to do this, but I do think it's very cool. They were like, "Hey, we understand you're very busy. You got shit going on." They're like, "No, I don't. I'll do it right now." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they 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 decided not to put the timeline in there, which was a cool mystery. Um, so now we get to see how her lives unfurled. I guess which That's is very cool, and we need to because they made too big of a deal of it. And there's too much cool shit in there. I think what I need, what I need answered from Dawn of X in general, and I guess specifically the Moira book is what still counts in X-Men continuity. Yes, definitely. Well, because when they were, when they were showing the various timelines, uh, like some stuff, it was like, Oh, Avengers versus X-Men when they all became the Phoenix, 
that happened in life, whatever, life right. four. Right. But it didn't though. It happened in the main Marvel universe. Right. So. Which leads you to wonder, well, like, did the main Marvel universe happen in any of these lives? Or like, <laughs> is it like, so, are the X-Men going to fix shit? And they're going to be like, yeah, there's no Spider-Man anymore. He just never existed. <laughs> right. Uh, so I think Sony got did- him and they took him and he's gone. Right. <laughs> so we were kind of operating under the, uh, the, the typical Marvel rules. It's like, you can't change time. It just creates a time, a separate timeline. Uh, when you go back and when, when stuff happened, you know, right. uh, when things diverge. Right. Um, but powers of 10, number six, pretty definitively states that when she dies, that timeline gets erased. Yeah. And she starts over. So like groundhog day style. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. X-Men group editor. I don't know. X-Men group editor. Jordan D. White has previously revealed that writers Vita Ayala and Leah Williams are working on unspecified X-Men related projects as part of Hickman's X titles. I don't think either of them are writing this book. I mean, if they're going to give us a Moira book, if it's not going to be Hickman himself, it's got to be somebody big. Yeah. Somebody really big. Especially when they were like, we get it. You're busy. You can't do it right now. It's got to be somebody pretty big. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited for all the Dawn of X stuff. Like we're going to talk about X Men number one here in a minute. I, I just I, I I want answers, but I also understand that Hickman plays the long game. Yes. So you're not going to get him anytime soon. I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it for the long haul. Speaking of X Men, yes, in the X adjacent desk from the Marvel actually, this Ener- is from the cartoon theme song desk. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, yeah, from the cartoon theme song it's desk. Different. Yeah. Marvel Entertainment, the Walt Disney Company, and others are being sued for copyright infringement. (laughs) This is just too funny. Over the 1990s theme song to X-Men, the animated series, due to its similarities to a 1980s Hungarian cop show's theme. I need to find that cop show theme right now because we are using that music. It's in the notes. (laughs) It's in the notes. There's a link right there. We're absolutely using it. (laughs) Yes. Uh, uh, this is according to TMZ. The similarities between the two themes have been noted before online. First I've ever heard of it. And now a representative from the estate of the original show's composer has filed a lawsuit. Zoltan Crisco. Oh, wow. Which sounds like a villain. A war criminal. Is <laughs> representing, <laughs> representing the estate of the late composer, Georgi Vukan. Uh, and he's reportedly filed a suit alleging that the X-Men animated series theme is based on Vukan's theme to Linda, a 1984 to 1991 Hungarian cop show. Uh, it goes on to name other defendants, Disney, Fox, Amazon, quote, and more. The suit alleges, quote, all the success the X-Men animated series franchise achieved for Marvel and many other companies is a result of this iconic and, as he claims, stolen theme song oh without a doubt i yeah i don't all, disagree i do not the disagree success. the only reason i watched that show was because of the theme song first right. of all that theme song sucked all right come all on right. let's do it we, we're in court they're gonna play it for us and we're gonna pass judgment yeah. right now yes all right Oh, shit! 
okay. Guilty. Uh, yeah, guilty. <laughs> Your Honor, <laughs> like, guilty. They straight ripped that shit off. <laughs> like, uh, no so, question. No so clues. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the riff goes in different places, but that like melody, that melody. Oh, holy shit, they ripped that off. <laughs> practically exact. It is exact. I mean, like, sure, there's no like sexy disco shit in there. And I do like any television theme where they scream the name of the show i'm in <laughs> you know, right? Linda, Linda. <laughs> and boy what better like tough hard-nosed cop name than linda <laughs> linda yeah, my mom's name. linda this is linda patrick totally sounds like, sounds like a mean grade school teacher or something yeah <laughs> uh yeah that's that's so similar guilty is charged oh my god yeah. no let me ask you that this is- why did it take this goddamn long? You know, and this is not me. Like, look, I respect any cop show that's been ripped off. And of course, we have to take the side of the cop show that's been ripped off because they have a story to tell and we need to listen. OK, but you got to wonder why it's coming out now. Right. Come on. <laughs> I'm not sure what joke you're trying to make there, but OK. <laughs> I'm just saying this cop show is a victim and we need to listen to the victims. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm shutting this down right now. But why now? <laughs> uh, well, it does say that this comparisons have been made before. It's just they're just now coming around to filing a lawsuit, I guess. Uh, <laughs> they didn't get the X-Men uh, in Hungary until now. Like Zoltan finally, like just like flipped on like his kids were watching after school cartoons or something. And he was like, oh, children, what is this? And they hear the song. He's like, <laughs> is he a Dracula? What the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, of course he's a yeah. Dracula. Are you kidding me? His name is Zoltan yeah, Crisco. It. He is of Dracula. <laughs> 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 All right, let's get to the big news, will you? Yeah. From the Marvel Studios desk, hail to the new boss, same as the old boss. All hail Kevin Feige, your new king of Marvel. Kevin the has, boss of bosses. Kevin has been named chief creative officer of Marvel Entertainment Variety Reports, putting him in a position to oversee Marvel Television, Marvel Animation, and wait for it, Marvel Comics. What, 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 what? Feggy will hold the role in addition to serving as president of Marvel Studios as a part of restructuring Marvel Television, the division behind Marvel's Netflix and Hulu shows, as well as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Go ahead and kiss that one goodbye. Legion and The Gifted kiss those goodbye, too. And Marvel Family Entertainment will move under the Marvel Studios umbrella. It's all going to be Marvel Studios. So suddenly, C.B. Cebulski, Joe Casada, all the big names, Stephen Wacker, they all have a job, but they now all report to Kevin Feige. Now, we don't have have a— that's not correct. What do you mean? That's not correct. Uh, Dan Buckley will remain president of Marvel Entertainment— and he's going to be overseeing publishing, creative, and editorial, reporting to Feige. Yeah. So they so I, I guess, I, I guess <laughs> they, they will report to Buckley. Buckley is still going to be in charge of that. Yeah, Buckley is their boss, but Feige is the boss of bosses. Well, sure, but so is Don Iger. And Don Iger's not going down to the Marvel offices and saying, make Gwen Stacy pregnant or whatever. <laughs> well, let me ask no. you this. We, we've seen what Feige can do for the movies and for television, and we're not worried about that at all. Are you worried at all about what happens to the comics? I'm not. I, I, 
I don't think so. I, I, don't, a little I, don't th- I don't think that there is a lot of interest in like homogenizing that content. They've got different versions of all these characters for all over the place. Sure. They've got cartoon versions. They've got video game versions. They've got comic book versions. They've got like all ages novel versions. I, I don't think Faggy's going to come in and just like, here's the mold. Everything's like this now. Right. I mean, and I guess if there is one really good thing about this is they're basically telling Ike Perlmutter to fuck off and get out of here. I mean, yeah, he'll he'll still be uh, Marvel Entertainment chairman, but he's going to be more on the operations side. Yeah. Licensing. They're, they're basically sort of paying him at this point, but he's not going to be in charge of any of that. He is a well-known Trump associate and donor allegedly rewarded an unofficial control of Department of Veterans Affairs for a minute when he was like, Ike Perlmutter is going to do it. And they were like, oh, we should probably hire somebody who knows how to do the job, which never oh, stopped can. him from putting a buddy in charge of something like an embassy in Ukraine, for example. Uh, so if anything, Perlmutter's out. Figgy's in. I think Figgy's good for business. I think he is a guy that has proven that he understands letting creative people work is good for comics and good for movies and good for TV. I don't think he's the sort of guy that's going to mess with a good thing. No, I, I think you're right. I think he knows where the bread is buttered and he understands we make money in comics this way and we make money in TV and movies this way. <laughs> like, I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to have a meeting, uh, you know, he's going to show up at Marvel and he's going to have a meeting with Dan Buckley and Joe Casada, and they're going to be like, all right, now we've got all the rights back. Let's talk about the X-Men. What's the status of the X-Men? What's that you say? Gold balls. <laughs> I don't think so, sir. This is what you're doing? Oh, no, that ends now. Nope. That's, yeah, right. Cancel that. Okay, so next. <laughs> what do we got next? Yeah. All right, we need to make everybody hate Spider-Man so Sony will sell us all that <laughs> shit back. So what can we do? Let's put him in a wheelchair. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I, I can't really see that happening, uh, but I we'll see. I I don't really know how much creative uh, input he has on the movies anyway. Like we know, we know that he's kind of, um, well, he picks the guy hailed as this, like he's a good world builder. He's yeah. good at, at continuity, but he's but, like essentially he's picking directing the movies. Yeah. You know? He's picking the nerds to do the job basically. And the nerds right. do the job and he's happy about it. And like I said, he seems to understand that when we let creative people work, they make good creative stuff. So I think this I is hope good. that's true. I think this is good. I really do. And I do think that I agree. Like Perlmutter is not gone from Marvel, but the less uh, creative influence he has, the better, in my opinion. Yeah. Screw that guy. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while making sure our mole in the Marvel bullpen still has a job. He is worried, and I'm not going to name him, but his initials are Joe Casada. Okay. Oh, oh, yikes. Whoops. So, oh, damn it. Hit us up on the THN forums, big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11 to noon Central Standard Time. It's more exciting than college football unless your team is actually good and you control the content. We don't have a good team. That's why I bring that up. We're bad. Yeah, I, I get it. We're bad. This week, we're talking comic book collecting. Do you hoard them or do you catch and release them? What do you do with your comics when you're done? So call us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. If you can't be there live, leave us a message or send an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com. We already have one voicemail. Hey, look at us. 
That's a hundred percent more than last week. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's, it's exactly equal because we had Jason Sachs. Oh, that's yeah. right. Okay. I pardon me. Yeah. It's spotlight review time in the ziggurat where this week Superman gets political and the X-Men have officially joined a cult. Matt, why don't you start us off? Speaking of X-Men, I'll be doing X-Men number one from Marvel Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Lanil Francis Yu. It is 48 pages. It is $4.99. Your suggested soundtrack is the Phenomena original soundtrack by Claudio Simonetti and Goblin. It's creepy, it's kind of sci-fi, and it works perfectly for this book because there's some creepy sci-fi shit going on. <laughs> Just as you were about to clean up the gore from your head exploding after last week's conclusion to the Hawks and Pox storylines, oh, I boy. am here to tell you, don't waste your time because you're in for another mess. This story hits the ground running with Cyclops, Storm, Polaris, and Magneto taking down down an Orcus installation with extreme prejudice. Now, up to this point, Cyclops has been kind of lighthearted and almost flippant, but Hickman writes both him and Storm kind of raging in battle. In fact, everyone has some kind of culty, brainwashed dialogue going on here. This new X-Men's mission seems to have gone from survival to an almost spiritual kind of crusade. Magneto is referring to himself as a god, and the muty kids are just eating it up. From yeah, chanting his name. Yeah. From there, we head to the Summers compound near the blue area on the dark side of the moon where Dad and the Star Jammers make an appearance. I'm just happy I got to live to see you draw Chad, Raza, and Hepzibah because he's fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Speaking of you, his art is outstanding as usual, but seems a little cleaner than his recent work. I don't know if he's trying to make it look a little more futuristic and technical. I can't say I didn't miss R.B. Silva and Pepe Larraza's art, but you is a fantastic replacement. There's definitely more questions here. Polaris calls Magneto father. Sto- that's a that's a thing that was already established. When they established was, that when that Polaris is Magneto's daughter for real. But I went and um, looked at Morrison's. And I think it was Morrison's new X Men. See, now I looked it up and I could not find references to it. Yeah, no, they they definitely. Did that. Okay. I remember it. If somebody knows, lay it on us. Hit us up. Lay it I'm on me. Cer- I'm almost certain it was Grant Morrison's new X-Men. Hmm. I'm not certain on that. Storm and Cyclops seem to be fine with wholesale murder at this point. Everyone is still kind of acting strange. And are the X-Peeps living in the Summers compound a team? I'm not totally okay, sure. So are they is, just living this there? I, <laughs> this is what I read. Uh, that X-Men is sort of like the hub book. So the characters we saw on the cover, the Summers family, that's not necessarily the X-Men. Right. They, they are X-Men, yes, but it's going to be a ro- kind of a more rotating, like, for example, Storm was here. Right. Storm and Magneto and Polaris. Um, but yeah, the Summers family are definitely living in that compound on the moon and Wolverine, Cyclops, and Jean Grey are definitely fucking. <laughs> it's something. I don't know. <laughs> They have adjoining rooms. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely yes. got that feeling. Hickman. And the and, and one of the three laws of Krakoa is make more mutants. Yeah, I guess so. It's Hick- nonstop bone fest up there. <laughs> 
Hickman's X reboot has been nothing short of amazing, and X-Men will continue to be top of the pile reading for me. It was great to see the X-Men in action, because there kind of was a lot of talking and hawks and pox. And honestly, I kind of love the idea of the Summers Family Squad, even if it does include stupid Vulcan. I'm giving this a massive buy it. It X-Men is just changing. And we have to change yeah. with it. It doesn't need to yes. be a blue team and a gold team or a red team and a yellow team. It's just the X-Men. Live with it. We've lived with the Avengers doing this forever, and we've never had a problem with that. So why should we have a problem with the X-Men? You know what I mean? I heard some people you're bitching. You're awfully defensive about it. I'm just saying. Like, I like I, my first reaction was like, oh, but what about the teams? Fuck the teams. They're all X-Men. Even Vulcan, yeah. who yes. I can't stand. Now there are there are things that I wish were explained a little better. Like Vulcan's just there, yeah, with no. Like I think he was dead, which and I know that's not really a thing anymore. Not Being anymore. dead is not really a problem for not the X Men. Not a problem. But it it's just it seems like it would have. It seems like it may have merited a little bit more of a focus. It's like, hey, by the way, we resurrected your dead evil brother, and he's friends now. Well, and there's even they make a reference that like Vulcan has been bringing people around the compound. Like I think he's just they I think don't have just, good uh, reputations whatsoever. So <laughs> yeah, disreputable. Yeah, um, it was so cute. Uh, the scene with Kid Cable and Raza. Oh my god! And Kid Cable's like, "Mom, can I trade guns with Raza?" Yeah, they're like talking guns, and it was, it was so horrible. Cool. It was adorable. Um, yeah, I. I loved this. I, we said it earlier when we were talking about the Moira book. We're, we don't have all the answers. We're not going to have all the answers. We have more answers now than we did then. And every time a new one of these books comes out, we get another piece of the puzzle. Uh, and I'm just really excited to see the puzzle that's taking shape. Yeah, absolutely. This is a huge buy it for me as well. I loved it. Joe Patrick. Let's talk about the KKK, shall we? Yeah. Everybody <laughs> loves talking about the clan. This week, I'm reviewing Superman Smashes the Clan, number one from DC Comics, written by Gene Luen Yang, art by Guru Hiru. It's 80 pages for $7.99, and here is your solicit. It's a long one. The year is 1946, and the Lee family has moved from Metropolis's Chinatown to the center of the bustling city. While Dr. Lee is greeted warmly in his new position at the Metropolis Health Department, his two kids, Roberta and Tommy, are more excited about being closer to their famous hero, Superman. While Tommy adjusts to the fast pace of the city, Roberta feels out of place as she tries and fails to fit in with the neighborhood kids. As the Lees try to adjust to their new lives, an evil is stirring in Metropolis, the Ku Klux Klan. This is long. Good Lord. Yeah. When the Lee family awakens one night to find a burning cross on their lawn, they consider leaving town. But the Daily Planet offers a reward for information on the KKK and their top two reporters, Lois and Clark, dig into the story. I'm not going to read the rest of this. It's really just it's it's kind of recapping the whole thing. Yeah, it really does. Uh, the takeaway, though, here is that this miniseries is inspired by the 1940s Superman radio serial clan of the fiery cross it's a real thing that happened but yeah there was a superman serial in the 40s where superman fucking fights racists for like 16 episodes yeah man now i have really come to love gene luen yang over the past few years we've reviewed a couple of his books he has a way of bringing his unique cultural background into his stories in a way that feels relatable to everyone 
That talent is on full display here as he inserts the reader directly into the Lee family. Now, it might surprise you to hear this, but I am not a Chinese immigrant that came to the United States nearly 80 years ago. See, it's like I hardly know you. That's it. You You think you know a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Everything you know is wrong. And yet the Lee's struggle really resonated with me. Now, while he has more track to run on here than with a standard comic issue, I was still impressed with the depth of Yang's characterizations. This is just a three-issue series with a pretty specific plot, yet Yang takes the time to put you right into the minds and hearts of all the main characters. Superman struggles with the revelation of his origin and his first exposure to kryptonite. The bully Chuck Riggs struggles with his expectations of his racist uncle. Roberta Lee struggles to find her place somewhere between the old life her mother can't let go and the new one her brother is too quick to embrace. Yang also shows how America's history of racism isn't as cut and dry as the clan hating foreigners. It's a lot less obvious and more insidious than a burning cross in the front yard. It's the casual slurs that come from supposed friends and peers. And even in Mr. Lee's frantic dismissal of the group of black men that arrived to help him after a clan encounter. For years, I've thought of Guri Hiru as that guy that draws those manga-looking power pack comics. In reality, I looked it up today, Guri Hiru is a female art team consisting of, and I'm sorry, Chifu Sasaki, who does pencils and inks and design, and Naoku Kawano, who does colors. They're a two-headed collective? No shit? It's a, yeah. Really? I'm not... I'm not really the usual audience for their all ages fair, so I've never really given them much thought, but their work here shows a surprising amount of depth. It's still done in that familiar, sweet anime style, but the characters are wonderfully expressive. And I was also impressed with how well they captured the look and feel of mid 40s American life. Superman smashes the clan is an odd thing. It, it obviously doesn't connect with the current DCU and there aren't enough bat dicks to qualify it for black label, which is too bad. Yeah, it really is too bad. And when are we going to get uh, a but, super dick? I mean, come on, man. Yeah, boy, it's <laughs> for long overdue. Or a wonder dick. You know what I mean? Come on. Oh, hey. <laughs> we're, we're progressive. We'll take what we yeah. get. Uh, but it does have a wonderful, timeless quality and a story that is upsettingly relevant today. This was a great read from a great team of talented creators. I'm giving it a huge buy it. I had no idea what to expect other than I like Gene Yang. I loved it. I same here, and I, I feel like Jin Yang has was kind of wasted on that Chinese Superman book they did for a little bit there, which wasn't bad, but felt so removed from the DCU that it just felt like it didn't count. I think he's much better at telling stories like this, where he can come in and and tell a very important and relatable story. And I really like that he chose to do it with. Asian immigrants instead of black people and even showed that the Asian like father had a problem with black people showing up like everybody was guilty at this time and there was a lot of issues and racism is not as cut and dried as white people and black people there's a lot more going on right there. and well and they also they also so very carefully like connected it with Superman's own alien yes. origin because I mean at the end of the day the KKK would hate Superman dude's an alien He's right. He's from way far away. It's not like he came from Asia or Africa. He's from a different goddamn planet. <laughs> no, they're right. not going to like him. You know. <laughs> no, this was beautifully illustrated. It was very well told. There was every chance that they could have screwed this up 
with any other creator writing it. And Jin Yang nailed this. It didn't come yeah, off. It's as, a very thoughtful. Yeah, it's not heavy handed. It's not in your face. It's just a great Superman story about good guys fighting bad guys and the gray areas in between all of us, you know, the way we look at each other and the way we think about race and our neighbors and immigrants. And it was great. I'm giving this a massive buy it. So that's a double buy it for X-Men number one and a double buy it for Superman smashes the clan. We'll post our written reviews over at twoheadednerd.com so alt-right trolls can trash our opinions for years to come. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics. So call us this weekend. THN, cover to cover, 11 to noon, Central Standard Time. The number, 402-819-4894 or... Just click our call now button on our Facebook page, okay? Couldn't be easier. You don't have to remember anything. Before we get into this week's reviews, let's introduce the cocktail of the week. I'm bringing back an oldie but a goodie, and I switched it up just a little bit. This week, we are sipping on the green-skinned lady. This is for all you She-Hulk lovers out there, and here is your recipe. In a cocktail shaker, add four large mint leaves. You will muddle them, and that is when you take, it looks like a little baseball bat, and you kind of crush them up, and you wiggle them around in there a little bit. It's a mortar. Yes. Then you add ice. Well, we call it a muddler in this case, but whatever. Then we're going to add ice. We're going to add one and a half ounces of gin, one half ounce of fresh strained lime juice. No pulp. This is very important. It's a pretty drink for a pretty lady. One and one half teaspoons of simple syrup, which you can make yourself, equal parts, sugar, water, cook it down, make simple syrup, two teaspoons of green chartreuse, which is a lovely liqueur that kind of tastes like a Christmas tree, fully decorated, pushed down your throat, and then pulled back out. You'll get used to it, trust me. From there, shake a shake a shake a. You will pour into a coupe or martini glass, garnish with a Secret Wars Battle World She-Hulk hero click, And enjoy. Now, Joey, while we sip on these drinks, why don't we review eight more of this Wednesday, October 16th, new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Kill Switch number one from Action Lab Danger Zone. It's Action Lab Danger Zone. Remember, we decided. Sorry. In this future dystopia, humanity lives on a comet, and a small group of people called augers have visions of the future, but the government keeps them as prisoners to use as tools for the population's survival. Susan and Jeffrey Bridges write a compelling narrative that forces the reader to consider the good of the many versus the good of the few, with some very solid art by Walter Giovanni. I'm not sure why this book was relegated to the Danger Zone imprint, which, as I understand it, is strictly adult books featuring busty cartoon women, but Killswitch was a solid read with a great premise. Buy it. And if you don't agree with that last statement, check out Amalgama Space Zombie. <laughs> also came out this week. Her boobs are huge. <laughs> uh, no, I, Danger Zone is more like action, sci-fi. The regular Action Lab, I think, is primarily all ages type stuff. Okay. I mean, there was nothing particularly adult about this, I'll say that. That book, Awry, that I reviewed a couple weeks ago was Danger Zone as well, and it was not adult. It was just hard sci-fi. Moving on! Metal Men, number one, from DC! 
I am a huge fan of the Metal Men. So I was very dubious about Dan DiDio reviving this concept. Fortunately, he does a pretty good job. The script features a nice balance of classic, uh, classic aspects and new ideas while incorporating one of the most interesting aspects of the Metal Men concept, the fact that their creator, Will Magnus, is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Hasn't he always been crazy, though? Hasn't that kind of been Magnus's thing? Uh, it's in more recent years, yeah. In the Silver Age, he was just like overworked scientist. Oh, okay. uh, but like, as stories went on, it's like, oh, Will Magnus is crazy. I've always only known him as nuts. So. Sure. Shane Davis is on our duties here, and we've talked about how he's kind of hit and miss, but he's mostly great here. Uh, I'm surprised to say I'm cautiously optimistic about this new incarnation of the Metal Men. I'm giving it a buy it. Wow. Did not see that coming. It was good. Wow. Marked number one from Image. Imagine if Witchblade was better thought out and had a real story from the beginning with a touch of the magician show tossed in and you got marked. The story of a group of people with glyphs on their body that give them magic abilities to fight off the dark forces of evil that were summoned by Hitler during World War II. Whoa. Very low concept stuff here. So, David Hine writes some convincing young hipster dialogue, and the history behind the group is very well fleshed out. Brian Haberline is intense on art with some fantastic digital effects for the magic spells. Normally, when you start to put in big bombastic digital effects and comic book art they look like two very separate things i don't know what they did here but it looks incredible hein creates a larger world with compelling characters and a mission in this oversized but regular price number one mark is a great start for what looks to be a series destined for tv i'm giving it a buy it crazy number one from marvel Marvel's 80th anniversary run shots roll on with very mixed results. Nothing embodies that hit and miss nature like this one issue revival of Marvel's mad magazine homage crazy. Frank Thierry, Jerry Duggan, and various do their best to recapture the mag's mid-70s heyday, but they unfortunately fall short. I prefer various to Frank Thierry, honestly. Yeah. You know, that's just me. Now, with, <laughs> with the exception of the Man-Thing uh, one-page shorts by John Adams and Chris O'Halloran, there are very few laughs to find here. The creators are obviously doing their best, and they obviously loved that old-style humor magazine, but... I'm afraid that crazy was better left in the past. I'm giving it a leave it. Wasn't crazy only around for like four issues? Um, they put out a few issues in the late 50s, and then they brought it back in the 70s, and it ran for a few years. Oh, uh, okay. I think it ran until 1980, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Robotech Remix, number one from Titan. Robotech returns, but not quite remixed, I think? I don't know. One of the characters has come from a different dimension, which didn't happen in the old Robotech, so this new Titan series continues to blaze new continuity trails, which is fine when the story is this well-written. Brendan Fletcher has obviously done his homework and nails the tone of the Robotech that I know and love while introducing a new enemy from out of regular space and time that is going to shake shit up for the denizens of Macross City. Elmer DeMasso's art is pitch perfect with an updated classic manga style. This guy is amazing. And the colors are literally glowing on the page. I am giving this a massive buy it. It was great. And I'm not just saying that for like Robotech fans or people that love Robotech, pick this up. It's a really good book. 
The mask. I pledge allegiance to the mask. Number one from Dark Horse. <laughs> I have a confession to make. I have never read a mask comic book before today. Really? You didn't read the old Doug really? Lankey stuff? No, I've never read it. No kidding. Everything I know about the character comes from the Jim Carrey movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this that's... is not the Jim Carrey movie. No, that's not the mask even. I mean, they got I get it, it wrong. I get it. Christopher Cantwell's script is brutal and unforgiving, bringing in characters from the past and establishing a new identity for the quote unquote big head killer, nice. which is what they called him, I guess. Yep. Uh, the dialogue is a little over the top at times. Like, do aspiring politicians really talk like this? Did you watch the debates uh, last night? Yes, they do. Yeah, but, <laughs> uh, but the art by Patrick Reynolds is incredible. It's uh, kind of a grittier Mike Perkins uh, style. I loved it. Bonus points for drawing my buddy Matt Roberts into the book as a cheeseburger chomping cop. Huh. I didn't really know what to expect from this revival of The Mask, but I really liked what I read. I'm giving this a buy it. Well, you know, Dark Horse has to uh, go digging in the closet these days. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for the uh, virus revival. Oh, man. H.G. Wells, The Island of Dr. Moreau, number two from IDW. Somehow I missed the first issue of this adaptation of one of my favorite H.G. Wells stories, so I'm reviewing issues one and two of this two-part mini. IDW founder Ted Adams writes and lock and key illustrator Gabriel Hernandez draws this incredibly disturbing story of man playing God. God. Hernandez's art is amazing, even when drawing some extremely gory panels. The guy has somehow improved on his style, and this two-part mini is a statement piece on how good he really is. Adams uses a lot of the original dialogue from the Wells story. My only complaint was this felt a little short. They crammed it all in there. Six issues probably would have been a perfect length, but that's not going to stop me from giving this two-part mini a buy it. I mean, it was worth it just to, like, look at the Gabriel Hernandez art. Yeah, he's incredible. fantastic. Incredible. Cult classic creature feature number one from Vault. Writer Elliot Rahal returns to the cult classic universe, which apparently is a thing. Yeah, I didn't I, know that it was, I but it is. didn't know. <laughs> Writer Elliot Rahal returns to the cult classic universe, which I did not know was a thing until now. This time, he throws the works at the reader, dinosaur extension at the hands of aliens, a late-night horror host, giant tentacle monsters, and skeletons ripping themselves from people's bodies. All things I can get down on. Yeah, this was a really fun, spooky read just in time for Halloween, and I really loved the art by John Bivens as well. I'm giving cult classic creature feature number one a buy it. Plorp. That is your ludicrous speed round and plorp is the sound of arm fall off boy pulling off his <laughs> own arm to impress the Legion of Superheroes as seen in the pages of Secret Origins volume two number 46. It's all he's got, you know, I mean, come on. It's all he's got. <laughs> this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Adam Wednesday via Facebook. And if you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week or suggest a cocktail recipe, you can plorp it onto any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. I would have said rip your arm off, write it on it, and send it to us. <laughs> yeah, that might be more efficient. Yeah. Uh, you can also watch the Ludicrous Speed Round on our YouTube channel. Not tonight. Uh, they're usually up even before the show to help you, the discerning comic nerd, make an educated new comic book day buying decision. Bravo, Adam Wednesday. Getting us an arm fall off boy sound effect. That is incredible. Just in, just in time for Suicide Squad 2. 
Matt, now that we've had a good workout, let's retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Gold Balls has laid two golden eggs for us to impregnate for that little genetic experiment I was telling you about. Joe, you're sick and you're playing God. This is monstrous. And that's coming from a guy that'll have sex with just about anything. Now, I'm going to bonk your little experiment, but I ain't raising no baby. <laughs> okay, okay, just settle down. No one is expecting you to start acting like a good father now. This is just for science. I'll tell you what. Why don't we talk about your must-read pick for Wednesday, October 23rd, and we can discuss Gold Ball Protocol later. My pick for next week, Money Shot, number one. Speaking of impregnation. Oh, is that coming out? From Vault. It's written by Tim Seeley with art by Rebecca Isaacs. It's 32 pages. It's $3.99. Here is your solicit. In the near future, space travel is ludicrously expensive and largely ignored. Enter Christino Campos, inventor of the Starshot teleportation device. Her big idea? She'll travel to new worlds. I think there's a bunch of sex involved, too. Because you don't call the book Money Shot and have everybody in their underoos doing down blouse shots on the cover unless they're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, there's <laughs> definitely going to be peas and veggies in this book. I uh, love Rebecca Isaacs. She's fantastic. And this uh, is just wacky enough for a guy like Tim Seeley to have a lot of fun with. I got to check it out. Uh, it's also co-written by comedy writer Sarah Beatty. Oh, is it? Yep. Oh, I did not see that in the solicit. Yes. Well, they could have mentioned that. That'd be nice. Joe Patrick, what is your pick? My pick for next week is Marauders, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Matteo Lolly. It's 40 pages for $4.99. They really missed the boat by not calling this X-Men on a boat. You know what I mean? X-Men on a boat. <laughs> Here's your solicit. X-Men on a boat! <laughs> Even in this glorious new dawn, mutant kind faces hardships and oppression from their human counterparts. Led by Captain Kate Pride and funded by Emma Frost and the Hellfire Trading Company, Marauders, Storm, Pyro, Bishop, and Iceman sail the seas of the world to protect those hated and feared. What the hell is going on in this book? This is, other than like maybe, other than X-Men and New Mutants, this is the Dawn of X book that I was most excited for. Like what Uh, in the hell is going on in this book? Uh, so they sail the seas around Krakoa, protecting Krakoa. What the hell? Uh, and also, the, as they talked about in Hawks and Pox, the Hellfire Trading Company, and specifically Sebastian Shaw, uh, they're in charge of the black market wheeling and dealing of the Krakoan drugs with the with the countries that would not sign a treaty with Krakoa. Oh, boy. So they're going to be like pirate drug runners or something. Good Lord. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. I can't wait. I, I mean, I I'm going to read Kate it and I'm going to love it. I'm sure. But holy shit, this is wild. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the description. That's something you can say about all of these. Donna yeah, I suppose that's true. I don't know what's going on either, but I love Kitty Pride. They keep calling her Kate Pride. I know. All which is what they called her in Days of Future Past. Yeah, I don't love it. But there's a reason for it or else they wouldn't keep doing it. I don't either, but she has grown up and maybe it's time to be Kate instead of Kitty, you know? I guess so. I guess so. But whatever. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Gogor, the trade paperback from Image Comics. It is written and drawn by Ken Gehring. 136 pages for $16.99. You spend $16.99 on way dumber shit than this, guys. Okay? Yeah. Seriously. No kidding. Here's your solicit. Among the floating islands of Altara, deep underground, the mystical creature Gogor sleeps. But above ground, trouble brews as soldiers of the Domus invade the land and impose their will on the people of Altara. Now, Armano, 
A young student of the natural arts must awaken Gogor and begin his quest to discover the nature of the threat and fight to preserve the culture of Altara. Experience a new kind of fantasy from writer, yeah, 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 the guy who wrote Planetoid. He's really good. Yeah. Okay. We, uh, I reviewed Gogor number one on the show and we loved it. It was beautiful. Absolutely. It was weird. The art is super chunky and kind of bizarre. And he has created an amazing fantasy world here. Pick up Gogor. It's yeah. a ton of fun. I loved Gogor. And yeah, I'm excited to read it all. I, I only read the first couple, but uh, excited to see it collected. It's a good series. These are just a few of the comics hitting the new shelves at your LCS next week, but we want to hear about your must-read picks and your latest genetic experiments. Head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you'd like to hear us review on the show. And don't forget to pre-order all your picks every week. Joe Patrick, there was a lot of news that came out of New York Comic Con this year, but perhaps nothing was more bizarre than the complete DCU timeline presented at the DC Nation panel. But you guys are in luck. The two-headed nerd is here to explain everything in a little oh, yeah. segment we like to call Ask a Nerd. And we just so happen to have our resident DC expert, <laughs> Joe Patrick. Now... What I yeah, saw, everything's going to be totally clear at the end of this segment. What I saw was a bunch of little boxes that, when you blew up, looked really grainy and shitty because someone doesn't know how to optimize their images. But I'm not going to uh, do that. No, here. It, they were they were purposefully blurry. The <laughs> images they showed at Comic Con were blurry on purpose. Joe Patrick, just tell us what counts. Tell us why it happened, and tell us how old are these assholes? Okay, like, well, what is going on here? Here's the thing. I think it all happened. So essentially, we have four timelines. We have four generations. Four generations. And each generation, each timeline, one, two, three, four, starts at one point, ends, and then the next generation starts and then ends. Is that correct? Well, okay. So let's get into the generations here. Okay. We've got uh, the Dawn of Heroes, uh, I think is what they called it, uh, which is Generation 1, which they are saying uh, kicks off with Wonder Woman coming to Man's World, which means in the new DC continuity, Wonder Woman was the first superhero. Okay, so just pretty neat. Not Superman. So this does not, this is superseding Golden Age. Like, forget everything you know about when the comics came out. They are telling us. This is the storyline and how it works. Well, they're not giving us specific dates, but they are giving date ranges like, um, you know, 1938 to, to 1954 or whatever. So this is technically um, the golden age, generation one. The golden age, yes. Okay. And so it's got stuff like Wonder Woman coming to man's world as the first superhero, uh, the first public superhero, uh, Superman appearing. Oh, no, actually, um, you've got... Uh, the death of the Waynes and the explosion of Krypton in the Golden Age, uh, the formation of the Justice Society, and all of those characters that we remember. Okay, back uh, up, back up, back up. So Superman and Batman are babies when Wonder Woman's an adult. Wonder Woman is thousands of years old. But I'm just asking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Wonder Woman is thousands of years old. Okay, all right. 
She a clay baby. The Superman and Batman are also babies when the JSA are adults and operating. Yes, they're saying like unlike the the real golden age that we know of. Right. uh, Superman and Batman were members of the Justice Society. Okay. Um, But that's uh, that's a different that's not in continuity anymore. It hasn't been in years. Um, But they are saying that the the death of the Waynes, uh, the explosion of Krypton, these things happened during that golden age span. Okay. Uh, then you've got the second generation, which I think they called the Space Age, uh, which has Superman becoming or Clark Kent becoming Superman, uh, Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne becoming Batman, and then all that stuff you said. Barry as Flash, Hal as Green Lantern, uh, whoever as Hawkman. That is the Silver Age. That's the Silver Age, right? And there's a lot of things there. Like we don't have a firm. Uh, you know what? Actually, hold on. So have we effectively removed Superman and Batman from the golden age of DC? Well, I mean, if we're talking in terms of story continuity, Superman and Batman have not been a part of the golden age of DC since Crisis on Infinite Earths. Okay. Reset everything. That's fair. Okay. But I'm saying according to this timeline, Superman and Batman showed up around the same time that Barry and Hal showed up. That's kind of how it goes. That's how, that's kind of how the timeline has gone in the past. Okay. Uh, where Superman Superman makes his public debut and kind of inspires a new generation of heroes. Right. Uh, so then in in short order you get Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. So yeah, the first era, the first age is uh, the first generation is Dawn of the Heroic Age, which which kicks off with One Woman. Uh, the Space Age is Generation Two, which is marked by the arrival of Superman. Uh, that runs all the way up until 1985 or 1986, which uh, kicks off the third generation, which is the age of crisis. Okay, so time out. Does the crisis end generation two? I don't know. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. So the age of crisis <laughs> runs from crisis on infinite earths through flashpoint. And then there is the fourth generation, which is the flashpoint era which is Flashpoint to now. Which is what we're living uh, so in now. Up till now. Okay. Uh, so so is the timeline resetting every time, or are they saying that, like, this is just generation, 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 and it's all one giant timeline? I don't think they're saying it's all one long timeline because that would be impossible. Um, that would mean that Superman and Batman are, you know, 90 years old. That was my and, next question. How old is Night, Bruce Nightwing Wayne? is in his seventies. Uh, that's not, <laughs> that's not what they're saying. Um, what I think they're doing is they're saying, uh, they're saying everything happened. They're saying, unlike what they've done in the past reboots where right. they said, Everything you know is wrong. None of it happened. Yeah, there's only five years of DC continuity or whatever. Right. Superman wasn't Superboy. There was no other Kryptonians. Right, exactly. Five-year timeline. All that's scrubbed. I think they're saying everything you knew happened. Um, But if you look at things like uh, Doomsday Clock and what's going on with Wally West and uh, the JSA showing up in Justice League, it's very apparent that someone is messing with the timeline, removing time, pushing things around. And we know now that it's Dr. Manhattan. So what I think is this, that all of these stories did happen as they happened in the comics. Okay. But then, that then there was an event 
that kind of caused a reset. And so I think they've lived all, I think these characters have all lived these timelines. These different generations. Kind of like Moira. You know what I mean? Right. Like she lived a thousand years. She died. Reboot. So they, I think that's what they're saying. This keeps happening over and over again, but slightly right. differently. And what uh, what kind of leads me to think that it happens is this rumor of an event coming in 2020 called 5G, which presumably refers to the fifth generation. We've already got 5G, though. Verizon rolled it out. So. <laughs> it's a placeholder title. It's not going to be called 5G. <laughs> okay, but, it better not. Um, that's dumb. <laughs> but uh, they need to call it Generation that, V. Generation V, sure. <laughs> but that uh, that kind of links up to what we were hearing in the past few weeks about heroes getting replaced. Luke Fox becoming Batman. Now there are rumors about all of the main characters getting replaced. John Kent coming back and replacing his father as Superman. Right. Uh, a new a new Wonder Woman. Uh, a new Hawk or uh, um, a new Green Lantern. A new. Um, who else? Flash, probably. A new Metamorpho. Like, a new, yeah, a new Metamorpho. <laughs> a new Floronic Man. A new arm fall off boy. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, this 5G, I think, this I think that's to, what they're doing. 5G I think is going to tie into this Black Batman thing. We, like, that makes a yeah, lot of sense. Fox. Because right. we, do we know that it's Lucius Fox or is everyone just guessing luke, luke fox, fox. we uh it was just the rumor it was just the rumor well like nothing full, nothing about anything has been announced his full name is we Lucius. know the timeline exists we know that they are they have a huge board in the dc office that marks off all these events on the timeline like you know uh wally west becomes the flash right uh you know uh uh eobard thon kills iris you right. know that sort of stuff um but we're also seeing some overlap uh, in things that didn't previously happen. Like uh, I believe that they showed uh, Wallace West, who it, who was the new 52 Wally, um, the new 52 Kid Flash. They are showing his birth as sometime during Generation Crisis. Huh? But he did not first appear until after that timeline was rebooted. Uh. So what I think is I think that all of this stuff happened and that there's some bleed through from generation to generation. Like there's kind of like with Moira, there's problems with a generation that sort of like bleed into a, another or, or like events like, um, like, uh, uh, Superman and Batman's first meeting. Right. Uh, you know, that would have happened in generation two, but that was in the fifties. So we know that that actually happened. So the timeline slides forward. It has to. Otherwise, Bruce is really, really old. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're talking about a lot of they're talking a lot about the implications of what the timeline sets up. Like if there are characters that came. This is a quote from Jim Lee. If there are characters that came about way back when, what does that mean today? So like they know what they're doing. They're planning something. Right. And it's something to do with incorporating all of their history somehow. And it's sounding to me more or less like what hypertime was, except that was also about like 
you know, all the all the Elseworlds you read also count sure, somehow, sure, somewhere. Sure. So do you think but it's Dr. Is, Manhattan or do you think it's Jeff Johns? Who do I think is the villain of 5G? I, I think, think it's, it's Jeff Johns. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's Jeff Johns. I think he's the one that's moving everything around. So he's been so quiet. He's been working on this whole goddamn thing. Oh, you think Jeff Johns is just like behind the scenes secretly planning this magnum opus? Isn't that a perfectly Jeff Johns thing to do? <laughs> like, I guess so. Isn't I guess it? So. I mean, like, really, who else would you rather does this? Who else would you rather pulls all this off? Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. And he's got such a mind for DC history. Yes. And a love of it. Yes. And maybe they put but, off all this, all the like Watchmen stuff, all the Doomsday Clock stuff. So it could end at this point. Like they started doing Doomsday Clock and they got this idea. Let's put this all together. Let's crush it all. Let's make it all count. And we have well, the and perfect that, that character goes, to do that. Dr. That Manhattan. Right into that, that goes right into that conspiracy theory we were talking about online. Yes. Um, where all of these major books are all coming out on the same day. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's, it's all pointing to something very interesting. And we don't know yet what shape it's going to take. But... Uh, what what gives me hope about it is their embracing of all of their history and Dio saying that we screwed up. He came out and he was like, we screwed up with the new 52. There was a lot of excitement about it. It was a great entry point for the characters, but we slipped up by making everything brand new rather than figuring out what fit right. and what did. Right. Now, you <sighs> have a, now they have a chance to say that there is something that messed with continuity as we understand it there is a person that did something that caused all these things to happen right the, and the if shit you that read, pissed uh, you and me off that messed up continuity and changed everything right. it like it's so meta and it's so fun and if they pull this off if they pull this off it is yeah. the biggest coolest thing that has ever happened in comics and I think no that if hyperbole. You read, yeah, none at all. So I'm uh, serious. <laughs> if you if you go back and look at uh, Doomsday Clock ten or eleven, uh, I don't remember what issue it was, but it's Doctor Manhattan explaining what he's done. Uh, where it's like it's 1940 whatever, and I am uh, at the scene of a train derailment. Yeah, and I push a lantern six inches out of Alan Scott's reach. And suddenly there's no Legion of Superheroes anymore. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and it's like, it's 1938 and a rocket lands in Smallville, Kansas. It's 1986. And uh, here's Superman for the first time. So it's like, it's like, yeah, this is the golden age version. This is the uh, post crisis version. Like he is mucking with continuity and he has been from the jump. Yep. I kind of love it. And <laughs> like, I'm not thrilled that it's Dr. Manhattan. I don't need the Watchmen angle, but. I love the idea that they're making everything fit and they're saying, yeah, the stories that you loved still happened. But let, let me ask you this, though. And, and we both railed against like more Watchmen and bringing Watchmen into DC continuity. Is there a better character than Dr. Manhattan to do this? I don't I don't know that there's a better character in the current DCU. No, I don't think there is either. I think if you're going to do this, if you're going to bring Watchmen into the DCU and you want to further that crazy conspiracy theory that like God walking amongst man and 
trying to be a hero but messing up, I can't think of a better character than Dr. Manhattan to do it. <laughs> the big, the biggest question is what's it all for? Yes. Like it, it, uh, clearing up the timeline is one thing, but are they going to restart the line? Are they just going to have a storyline with this future generation of characters? Yeah. It's a like, storyline. It what does it all lead to? It's a story. Uh, and for that, we don't know yet. Uh, yeah. But, I am kind of optimistic about about DC trying to get their act together. Yeah, I think this is very cool. And quite honestly, if they can do this and pull it off, they could do something like this to apologize for all their movies, too. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also it's also a way of them saying, like, look, we need to like we've said it time and time again. DC's history is the number one thing it's got going for it. Yeah. Um. But it's but you also have to realize that look these these characters they can't realistically go on forever right. if we're telling DC's history story. is we also freshen it up. DC's history is also its biggest enemy as well. They can't, yes, that's true. They can't cling to it and be like history, history, legacy, legacy, and then say Bruce Wayne is thirty three years old, or you know, right. <laughs> or, or forty three years old, or whatever. There have been six Robins in five years. Right. I mean, you can't do it. Yeah. So if they're cleaning right, that exactly. up, and this is a way to do it, and say, you know, why all that stuff seemed weird? Because it was weird. Because somebody fucked with it. That yeah. is awesome. That's and it's, so it's also a way of saying, like, we need to refresh the characters for a new generation. Right. But we also leave the door open to bring back something beloved if it works. Yes. Like and, Wally, like Wally West. They like Wally West was gone. And then they did Rebirth. And and the main crux of Wally's arc in Rebirth is that somebody has screwed with his life so badly yeah. that he accidentally murdered a bunch of people. Uh, which is not great, but um like the idea that all of the history that we know, all of the things that we loved about Mark Wade and Jeff Johns' runs on The Flash, it happened to him. He remembers it. Yes. It's just that the rest of the world doesn't. And I love that. That the door is open to bring in these concepts f- that worked in the past. Yeah. And it, still present them for new readers. And it is very cool to to say that all of that history that you love happened. It's a very like Star Trek uh, like reboot where we say like, yeah, this is a new Star Trek, but guess what? All the old Star Trek happened too. It just happened elsewhere. You know, yeah, like different universe. And and we all looked at each other and we we're like, yay! <laughs> and instantly everything was fine. You know. <laughs> and it seems like that's what they're gonna do here. I really, really hope. That's what this timeline represents. I really do. And if it does, oh my God, DC wins. They win yeah. hardcore. So all, all signs are pointing to a, a pretty big crisis type event uh, next summer. And we should know more about what 5G is uh, spinning out of that. So there's a lot to look forward to. There's also a lot to be kind of... Uh, cautiously optimistic about maybe a little bit hesitant yeah. but like it i said it on i said it on the fan page uh when that conspiracy theory came out uh i want it to be true so bad but it requires giving dc a lot of credit yes it really does and now with that said we've been really happy with the direction the universe has been moving in the past year and a half two years 
since Rebirth, yeah, yeah, it's been pretty good. We've been really happy with it, and they have realized that like we cannot be the you know the WWE of comics anymore. We're punishing our readers because they're going to come back anyway. They've realized they want to sell books. People are paying attention, and people are asking questions. Maybe it's time they answer those questions. God help us. <laughs> If you have got a burning question that you would like to hear us answer, please hit us up. Shoot us an email to adnerd at gmail.com with your Ask a Nerd question. Drop Ask a Nerd in the subject so we can track it and find it when we search it. Ask us anything, and we will go on a long-winded, uninformed rant that may or may not answer your question, but will give you more information than you ever needed on the subject. Yeah, like you might be thinking to yourself, man... They didn't answer any questions about 5G, but I'm more excited about it now than I was before. Well, I mean, we only have so much information. What we did was sort of like take what we have in front of us, extrapolate it a little bit, and come up with a big conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah. That's what the internet's for, baby! Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 548 and the script writers for 549 are picketing outside the ziggurat right at this moment. Joey, while I go fire up the fire hose, why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week? I'm not letting these assholes push us around, I'll tell you what. <laughs> this week's question was submitted by Joe Rankley via the THN forums. I only this year discovered the magic that is new comic book Wednesday. In the last five months, I've amassed a few long boxes of bagged and boarded comics. But to all of you non-digital comic nerds out there, what do you do with your comics after you read them? Of course, I'm keeping my favorites, but I have several that I'll never read again. Some of them I didn't even enjoy the first time. Do you donate them somewhere? Do you drop them off at the Goodwill? Do you use them as Christmas wrapping paper for tiny little gifts? I don't want to be found in 30 years decaying in my apartment under a cave-in of old moldy long boxes full of Year of the Villain tie-ins. Well, there was plenty to be buried under, too. And let me tell you, it's a real concern. <laughs> Folks, please, we do need a question of the week suggestions. I appreciate the ones I've gotten lately, but step it up. We need them. We're, we're do, we do this every week. If you're new to the show and you're thinking about stuffing our bodies in a box and never looking at them again, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But kiddies, hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Richard Kovars, one of our last remaining PayPal donors. Everybody else has switched over to Patreon or giving us the bird <laughs> <laughs> he's keeping it alive over there before we go our weekly shout out goes to nathan bradford aka hallucinathan who reached out on the forums this week to say hi he hasn't been able to participate in cover to cover as much as he's used to but he wanted us to know that he's still a loyal listener he's also a faithful patreon donor as well and we really appreciate it Word to you, Nathan. We hope to rap with you again very soon. Yeah, I miss that guy. Until next time, true believers, remember <laughs> to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just rub some nasty hallucinogenics on the pages of your comics. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. <laughs>